KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Keeping California's only nuclear plant open may strengthen the state's energy grid. Diablo Canyon all by itself accounts for about 9% of in-state electric generation. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. A beloved children's book becomes a musical adventure in Escondido. How can Toad teach us the power of the importance of friendship in our lives? What what are we without you know our friends? It's a lonely world out there. So they just remind us, I think, that how important friendship is. And the Union Tribune Festival of Books is highlighted in our weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. The first flex alert of the season was issued this week. Soaring temperatures across California threatened the capacity of the state's electricity grid. Managers of the grid fear the situation will only get worse as climate change continues to make summers hotter. So Governor Newsom is proposing a temporary extension to the life of California's only remaining nuclear plant at Diablo Canyon. The facility near San Luis Obispo is owned by Pacific Gas and Electric, and it's scheduled to close in 2025. One of the many factors complicating the proposal to keep it open are the costs involved, which may raise consumers' energy bills across the state, including here in San Diego. Joining me is San Diego Union Tribune energy reporter Rob Nicoleski. And Rob, welcome back. Thank you, Maureen. Why does the governor see Diablo Canyon as crucial to the state's energy capacity? Well, because Diablo Canyon all by itself accounts for about 9% of in-state electric generation, about 2,200, 2,400 megawatts. And the governor's concern and some other state regulators' concerns is that by taking Diablo Canyon offline starting in 2024 and taking it completely offline by 2025, that the electricity grid in California, which is already strained, will go pretty much over the edge. And there would be an increased percentage or increased risk of power outages across the state. The proposal is only to keep it open for an extra 10 years, right? That's right. The governor's office released a legislative summary about a week ago that kind of went over the some of the details of this. And the talked about legislative summary is still not written in stone and nothing's gone before the legislature yet. But the proposed extension would be for 10 years. Now, the costs involved are really staggering. They go into the hundreds of millions of dollars a year to fix up the plant for an extended use. Can you break down some of those costs for us? In the legislative summary, there's a framework for how much the cost would come from uh, extending the life of Diablo Canyon. There would be a fixed fee of $100 million. That's 
combined units one and two at Diablo Canyon, and also a volumetric fee that would come to roughly $360 million a year if the power plant operates at recent levels of production. Two very important things. So you take that $100 million, $100 million from the fixed fee, plus the $360 million from the volumetric fee, that's $460 million. One of the important things to note is when I looked up the legislative summary, and that's what caused me to write this story, it would be those, that $460 million per year would be paid by all California Public Utility Commission customers in that entire jurisdiction of the CPUC. And that would include not just PG&E's territory where Diablo Canyon is, but also San Diego Gas and Electric, Southern California Edison down in Los Angeles. One other very important thing to note here, $460 million a year would be a lot. However, that cost could be defrayed because the proposal that the governor's putting forth goes on to say that Diablo Canyon earns enough money in the California energy and capacity markets that it would be enough to cover. If if that is enough to cover the fees, then the customers would receive a bill credit up to the amount that they had paid in those fees. So that's a complicated way of saying that, yes, $460 million is what they're talking about. But if the uh, power plant makes enough money in capacity and energy markets, that fee could go down. We don't know how much it's going to go down, though. If it doesn't go down, what might a Diablo Canyon extension add to a customer's bill, say, here in San Diego? Well, there wasn't anything in the legislative summary that mentioned that. But to me, that was a very logical question to ask. Okay, if it's going to cost up to $460 million, how much does that translate to the average rate payer across the state? And I asked Gary Ackerman, who's a uh, an energy expert, who's got about four decades of experience in this. He gave me, and this is a rough back of the envelope guesstimate, but he said it would work out to about a 3% increase in bills if there's no defrayed amount from the uh, energy and capacity markets in California. There's only about two weeks left in the California legislative session. Does it look like anything about Diablo Canyon will be able to get done? The clock is ticking because the legislative session adjourns on August 31st. And still, as of Thursday, Friday of this week, uh, no bill has been introduced to the legislature. One will certainly be introduced, but it's going to have to get through very, very quickly. Uh, It'll probably be issued as an emergency bill. Other bills have passed in a very short period of time. In fact, just I think it was three years ago, the governor had an emergency bill having to do with wildfire funding. That was able to get through. It was controversial, but it got through in the last few days. So this could be a rerun of that. It could happen. It'll be a real measure of the governor's sway over the legislature to see if they'll be able to get something like this. It's going to be controversial and expensive and could run some risk that uh, that ratepayers across the uh, state could have more uh, a little bit more added to their bill. So it'll be a very interesting political uh, situation we'll see between now and August 31st. I've been speaking with San Diego Union Tribune energy reporter Rob Nicoleski. Rob, thank you so much. Thank you, Maury. A series of classic children's books is now finding new life on stage and in the wilderness of East County. The Adventures of Frog and Toad taught many children how to read. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez tells us how the beloved characters are continuing their legacy of learning. 
This is Frog and Toad, and they are very best friends. Best friends living in a storybook world. Frog and Toad live in two different houses, and they always like to do kind things for each other. A narrator reads to a captive audience at the San Diego Children's Museum in Escondido. Frog and Toad are the main characters in a classic series of children's books by Arnold Lobel. Their adventures were first written in the 1970s and have lived on in our imaginations for decades. Toad pushed and pulled on the rake. He raked the leaves into a pile. Soon there was not a single leaf in Frog's front yard. This is more than just a read-aloud event at the Children's Museum. Young actors from Escondido's Patio Playhouse Community Theater have joined the narrator to bring the beloved characters and their animal friends from the page to the stage. A Year with Frog and Toad became a Broadway musical almost 20 years ago. I get to relive all my childhood fantasies of eating cookies and laughing at them raking their yard and the leaves all getting blown away. Christopher Moore is a college music major performing the role of Toad. I hope that it gets a lot more kids into theater so that we can share this amazing experience and gift with a lot more kids. Frog and Toad have endured because their stories are both entertaining and educational. The series is used in many classrooms to help students meet social-emotional goals, especially now in the aftermath of COVID and its continuing consequences. Brenda Townsend is producer of the musical and a parent. Frog and Toad teach us the power of the importance of friendship in our lives. What what are we without you know our friends? It's a lonely world out there. So they just remind us, I think, that how important friendship is. I wonder if we are brave, said Frog. Frog and Toad looked into a mirror. We look brave, said Frog. Chapters of the series are also being read in the wilderness of East County. Simon Breen is education director for Earth Discovery Institute, a nonprofit focused on educating children from marginalized communities about nature, science, and conservation. They've just started a storybook hike in the 2,800-acre Crest Ridge Ecological Reserve, nestled between the outskirts of El Cajon and Alpine. This story, Dragons and Giants, is about Frog and Toad getting out into nature, overcoming their fears. They have some challenges they encounter um, with snakes, with just avalanches and all kinds of misadventures. Children and their families hike from one station to another, reading and reacting along their journey. Breen says this provides lessons in ecological competency. A lot of the kids that we bring out on field trips here to Crest Ridge, it's their first time they've ever been out to this type of nature. Maybe they've been to a local city park, but nothing like this. And a lot of them come with preconceived conceptions, and you can overcome those fears and learn to coexist with these animals that are really so valuable to us and we need. The reserve is open to families and other hikers from sunrise to sunset, and the stories of Frog and Toad will be posted through the end of December. Beyond their other attributes, the tales are reminders of the reality of climate change. Sarah Masonuv is executive director of Earth Discovery Institute. It's really essential that the public understand what those threats are, understand the importance of nature, and join us in protecting it. How about a cookie, Frog? Don't mind if I do! So the singing best friends continue to teach lessons and bring the community together through books and on Broadway or in a community theater. Jamie Lynn Palmer brought her three-year-old daughter Lila 
to the Discovery Museum musical preview performance. Who's your favorite character? Toads. Why? Because they're so cute. They're so cute? Yeah, because they're babies. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. The musical A Year with Frog and Toad opens tonight at the Kit Carson Amphitheater in Escondido, presented by Patio Playhouse through September 3rd. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. In our weekend preview, we have a new play about a fictional female libido enhancement drug, new visual art, books, and some nostalgic rock. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. And Julia, welcome. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Well, we've got to start out with the libido drug. <laughs> That's in Boxy Theater. <laughs> Their new play is The Pleasure Trials. Tell us about this one. Yeah, it's a new play from playwright Sarah Saltwick, and it chronicles a fictional pharmaceutical company, and they're holding clinical trials for a new drug that's touted to enhance the female libido. And the trials are incredibly popular, of course. Tons of women want in on this. And the play follows the fallout from all these elevated hopes for the drug's success and, and kind of what it means to think of that in terms of success, both in theory and in capitalism. And the play also delves into issues of empowerment, sex, stigma, pleasure, and also happiness. And it's a comedy. It's all directed by Marty Goebel with a great cast and accompaniment from cellist Sharon Taylor. It's not a musical, but it um, it's a sort of accompaniment throughout the production. And this just opened at Moxie. And this weekend shows are 8 p.m. tonight and Saturday and 2 p.m. on Sunday. And then it's on stage through September 11th. There's a new solo exhibition at Sparks Gallery downtown featuring the abstract paintings of Khalid Al-Kabi. What can you tell us? Yeah, so he's a Baghdad-born abstract artist, and he came to San Diego in 2005 after fleeing the volatility in Iraq. And he was able to reroute his successful painting career that he'd left behind. So this is a new solo exhibition at Sparks Gallery, just opened last week. And al is using light as a way of expressing the phases of emotions, the transformation, and, and other fleeting things like passing or incomplete memories. And each piece has a kind of encapsulation of both darkness and lightness, or negative and positive emotions, like with a swath of really vivid or shimmery lightness made with a, with a mark of paint. And his paintings are also really textural with those marks. And they'll be on view at Sparks through early October. And the gallery, which is downtown in the Gaslamp area, that's open every day. But their weekend hours are noon to 7 today, 11 to 7 on Saturday, and 11 to 5 on Sunday. And it's always free to pop in. So let's stay with visual art for one more. Tell us about the Time for Women Artists group and their new exhibition in La Jolla. So this is a collective called TWA, or Time for Women Artists, 
And it's a group of 12 women who have been working and exhibiting together for about six years now, including a really powerful exhibition at Oceanside Museum last year. Some of the artists in this collective are Manuelita Brown, Gail Titus, Maite Benito Aganilla, and Julia C.R. Gray. There's 12 women in total. And the more they all work together and the more I'm interested in seeing kind of how their works are responsive to each other's works. And the theme of this show is turning tides. So there is a range of interpretations on that. There's nature, but also ebb and flow and changes and transitions. And the works also are a range in media. There's sculpture, painting, mixed media, and so on. And that opens today at Be Free Studio in La Jolla. But there's a reception Saturday from 5 to 8. Then it'll be on view just through September 3rd. And this gallery is also free. Now, the 6th Annual San Diego Union Tribune Festival of Books takes place tomorrow. Can you give us some highlights? Yeah, this is Saturday. It's held at USD and runs from 10 to 5. And this is the first time they've been in person since 2019 and the first time at this new venue. And San Diego really had nothing like this before the Festival of Books started. And it quickly ballooned into something big, which really, I think, represents the books and reading community here. As far as highlights, so we've had a bunch of the featured authors on the show throughout the week. Madhushri Ghosh, Alana Quintana, Albertson, Jesse Leone, Adam Schiff, Liz Horta, Christopher Carter, Pam Fong. They'll all be appearing on panels along with some other stars in literature right now, like Megan Giddings, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, Rudy Francisco, even David Duchovny. But aside from the panels, there is also plenty to do at the festival outside. The grassy lawn will be overtaken by a bunch of our local independent bookstores, so you can browse books and also get books signed by the featured authors. There's also a children's courtyard with readings and activities, a poetry corner, local author and small press booths, food trucks, and an entertainment stage. Parking is free on campus for the festival, and there'll also be shuttles to get you from designated parking areas to the center of the festival. And the big thing I'm excited for is the One Book, One San Diego announcement. That will take place at the welcome presentation in the main stage. That's at 10 a.m. And KPBS general manager Deanna Mackey will be there to make that announcement. But if you can't make it to the festival, you can also visit our website later that morning to find out which books we'll all be reading together next. Everything at the festival is free, but you can register for the panels in advance for either five bucks or for a smaller donation, depending on the panel. And some of them have already sold out, but there will be free standby lines for everything on the day of. And before we go, how about a little music? Sure. So this is a show at the Casbah on Sunday night, and it features three local musicians. Francis Bloom headlines with Lauren Lee and Lindsay White. Lauren Lee recently won the San Diego Music Award for Best Pop Song for her single Trust Fall. And this will actually be Lindsay White's first full band show. And Frances Bloom is known for this seriously nostalgic sound. It's somewhere between Roy Orbison and then fellow nostalgia rocker Orville Peck. Maybe a little bit of Elvis, too. And we're listening to Bloom's track, Mary Jane and Susie Lee. See you. 
singer-songwriter Francis Bloom. He'll perform at the Cat's Spot Sunday night. For details on these and more arts events, or to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts Newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Thanks, Julia. Thank you, Maureen. Have a good weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.